0: Welcome to Risk Sleep Repeat, a podcast that features influential guest speakers from the world of fire, health, and safety. We're going to focus on trust-based safety, owning and embracing risk, and the importance of people over paperwork. Hosted by me, Adam Clark, Managing Director, and Mike Stevens, CEO of Praxis42. If you're a fire health and safety professional, join us for inspirational conversations about the future of our industry. Today, I'm joined by Fiona O'Donnell, Global HSE Strategy Lead and Jacobs. Fiona is dedicated to the promotion of mental health and well-being, and is driven to ensure that the workplace can keep people safe and has a positive impact on their health. Fiona won the SHP Trailblazer Workplace Wellbeing Award in 2022 for the One Million Lives Campaign, a free mental health check-in tool designed by Jacobs to enhance users' understanding of their current state of mind and provide proactive strategies personal mental health development. Fiona thank you so much for spending some time with me today uh, on the podcast and um, like I do with all guests it'd be really great if you can give me a bit of an overview of um, of your career to date and uh, and where you currently are and what you're currently doing if you don't mind.
1: Yeah absolutely hi Adam and hello to everybody that's listening I'm um, delighted to be here today and, and really looking forward to this so my name is Fiona O'Donnell and I work for Jacobs Engineering. Uh, we're a, a large, I suppose, traditional um, engineering organization. We work globally, so we have work in most countries around the globe. We've got just under 60,000 employees um, scattered everywhere in offices and projects all around the world. And my role with Jacobs, um, I've been with them a long time now, nearly 18 years. My role with Jacobs is um, I manage our health and safety strategy globally so um, i started off in the irish operations i'm based in ireland where i live i started off in the irish operations before moving to a european role with the business and most recently over the last couple of years i've transitioned into um, a more global role so i work with our health and safety team globally really driving our strategy trying to ensure there's kind of a consistent approach and it's difficult sometimes when you think about some of the countries that we're working in different cultures different levels of maturity when it comes to to health safety and indeed well-being so really really challenging to try and get that consistent approach because our aim is the same for everybody and our desire and our vision around our health and safety strategy you know we want everybody to to go home in a, a healthier better way than 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 the way they came in so yeah the new role has has been challenging but but really really love it enjoy it in my in my personal life i have three girls three daughters uh, 13, 11 and 8 so lots of fun in, in my house trying to manage a full-time career and and three girls can be difficult at times let me tell you but uh, just as just as rewarding. There is no balance right it is an absolute myth there is no balance sometimes it, it has to be work and sometimes it it, it has to be the kids and, and I think once you're you have that level of self-awareness it's a much easier road to to, to walk once you kind of have that awareness of that I think where I've certainly tripped up over the years is trying to find that balance. I think I'm I'm a lot more effective now because my mindset is is one where sometimes it absolutely has to be work, and sometimes it absolutely has to be family.
0: With having a career and with and with success comes a level of a level of sacrifice, and you know, squaring that off to yourself, you know, it does make it easier. Doesn't mean that it's not tough. And at times, you yeah, those those days, weeks, months when you feel like you're treading water. Is, um yeah, it's hard.
1: There's no easy yards here. They're all hard. It is a really difficult line to walk. And there are sacrifices. And I, I look back at my own career and there are times, there are things that I've done in my career where I have, where I've absolutely put work first, where I've had to put my family. And there's been, there's been serious sacrifices that I've had to make. Do I regret them? Some of them, absolutely. No, as I, as I mature and as I get, get older and as I kind of climb the ladder, there's some stuff that I I did. You know, I, I came back very, very early after after my first two daughters were born. I came I came back to work really early. I, I I basically didn't really take maternity leave, and that was for a number a number of reasons. It wasn't that you know Jacobs made me, or there, there was no pressure whatsoever put on me. There was my own internal pressure. There was you know I was working in a male dominated industry. There was definitely a feeling. Well, so I probably didn't recognise it at the time, and wasn't able to identify it. And it was a subconscious thing, but it was definitely that feeling that, you know, I have to come back because I'm working with a bunch of, a bunch of men and, and, you know, they're not taking time off. So what, what impact is this going to have on my career now as my kids are a little bit older and I look back on that and I think, oh God, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't take that time with the babies, with my babies, when they, when they were very young. Um, so that was definitely a sacrifice that that I made that, that I probably regret really, but so, so yeah, back to your original point, it, 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 none of this is easy. Like, it, it's just not. And, and, you know, you will meet people along your career that that make it look easy, but that that's just, some people are better at wearing a mask than others.
0: The, the best leaders, in my opinion, are those who are willing to share their vulnerabilities. And the, the, the people who appear at face value to have it all together, well, you know, trying to avoid talking about icebergs in our industry, but it's what's below the surface, you know, and talking about it, and you know putting out there that actually if you getting to the top comes with certain rewards responsibilities etc but it, there's a level of burden there and, and, and trade-off and yeah there's times where it's, it's really tough whoever coined the term it's lonely at the top yeah it can be I mean, the catalyst for me was very much around. I had some business coaching. That's the primary thing that I've been interested in, and I feel like I'm. I so know where you are in terms of that. I'm self-aware, far more self-aware than I ever have been, and very aware of my of my triggers. But God, I so with you on the, but I'll still go up to the limit.
1: Oh, the limit. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go over. I'll go over it. I think in an age of like, oh, I have, sometimes I have to be sitting there scrolling on my phone on Instagram or whatever. And all these motivational quotes fly at you. And the whole business coaching thing, I think, is a funny thing now because like your phone is your business coach now. Just go on to Instagram or any of the social media platforms. There's there's your business coach. But it's connecting your own Personal journey with the messages that that are out there, and and look, I think look, not everybody is lucky enough to be in a position where they can get a business coach, and I think our younger generation, our younger population, they've so many challenges now. How do we, as senior leaders in business, how do we help and influence that younger cohort to learn the lessons that it took us a long time to learn? Because they're the, they're like sponges, right? They're they're just they're like birds waiting to be fed with with information and with with help and are looking to be influenced. So we've got a real responsibility as, as senior leaders across our industry. We have a real responsibility to those younger people, younger age demographic of people coming into our industry, you know.
0: Yeah, totally, totally agree with you. And I don't think we've cracked that yet. We, you know, if you think about natural progression when people start somewhere, and um, you know, when you really start to add on those kind of additional skills seems to always be when someone's a manager for the first time. Well, actually you now need to understand how to manage people, but actually primary to that is how do you manage yourself? How do you, you know, how do you stay calm? But actually, why wait until someone's a manager? Why can't that start on day one when, when someone's in an in an organisation? You know, you're you're an apprentice. You've never experienced working. You know, perhaps five days a week with all sorts of different people. You're, and let's start with, hey, after the first week, you're going to be feeling this, 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 and this. And guess what? It's normal. That's fine.
1: But well, we're o- we're only starting to connect the dots on this whole area of investment in human beings we really are only starting to scratch the surface and I know some people some kind of pockets of industry have been dabbling in this for quite some some time but as a general kind of population we're only starting to connect the dots on this whole human capital piece and, and the value that our particularly if you look at health and safety the value that our health and safety programmes can bring outside of risk mitigation Because that's primarily we're focused and we have been focused for a very long time on let's get rid of the risk. But actually, let's look at our health and safety. Let's start looking at our health and safety programs and how we can create real value for individuals and society through the programs that we have. For example, within Jacobs, we have a work related road risk program and that program seeks to reduce the risk that is people are exposed to when they jump in their cars or when they're traveling out the road for us but actually if you look at the value that we could bring by by not having people in their cars out with the risk mitigation right you know they might be because they take public transport they're less stressed or they're not exposed to to obesity which we know is an issue for 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 people to drive long term they might get to spend more time with their family because they actually don't have to take that trip or they you know, so what are the benefits to the individual, and and therefore, the what is the outcome for society? It's a really interesting area to work in, and something that through through what I'm doing with Jacobs, we're really starting to change the narrative on our health and safety programs. So, less about risk mitigation and more about the actual value they can bring. It has to come back to how does how does this benefit the individual? Like, how do we invest? fully in our people because you know there's obviously and quite rightly a huge focus on uh the planet and trying to save the planet but actually it's people that are going to do that ultimately so the investment should start right at the the start of the chain it should be in the person um and there is look as as time is moving on there's there's a lot more coming on this and and there's a lot more interest in this whole area of human capital but i think the looking at it through the lens of health and safety is a, is a really interesting one that we're going to see a lot more on in the future.
0: What I'm really interested in, that is not the Fiona that's in front of me now with lots of lots of experience. I want to go back to Fiona at the beginning of her career, coming into, and you, you already said, it, a male-dominated area and kind of heavy heavy engineering and construction. What drew it to you and how did you find your initial experience in it?
1: So I grew up in, in Leakeslip, County Kildare, and was lucky enough that Intel actually based their Irish operations, um, in my small village. So I was exposed to kind of construction and, and my village is only, is, is quite small. It's, it's obviously developed over the years, but when, when Intel first landed, I suppose it would have been a very, very small community. So it was kind of the, the hub of the community here for a long time. Um, and it's a massive plant, huge development over the years. And it's, really, really good for, for the league's community. So I kind of, as I was, as I was going through secondary school, that was the backdrop of my community. So it made sense that I kind of started my career there and I was lucky enough to kind of have a couple of different roles there with different different people, certainly not in safety. It was always something that really interested me. The fact that you're able to influence how somebody behaves on a given day kind of really interested me. And, and and that's what safety is all about. It's about trying to influence people to to, to make a different decision to benefit them them. So I went to college, came out and, and got a job with a small contractor who had a job in Intel and and, and that was really the start of it. I kind of grew there and, and moved through the ranks, I suppose, with a couple of different contracts then landed landed with, with Jacobs. But just loved that whole Firstly, the buzz of construction. I remember my first day on site, watching thousands of construction workers walking into, you know, walking into Fab 14, down down the hill into Fab 14, all with different coloured hats on. They used to do as an American organisation, so they used to do stretch and flex in the morning, which in Ireland at the time, nobody was doing. So to see a couple of thousand construction workers walking into a big hit every morning and doing a stretch and flex doing taking off the hard hats and doing an e- exercises in the morning was just oh my god this is insane and and everybody loving it and, and just the, the buzz and the vibe on, on the project and then very quickly realising that I actually was good at influencing so that was my fir- first kind of I don't know when I got into it first was it did I think I was going to you know did I think this was going to be the the career I was going to have for the rest of my days I suppose you don't probably think that far ahead when you're, when you're so young but I, I remember that feeling of, God, I can actually change how people behave here. That really interested me and I suppose drove me on to try and understand safety a little bit more and try and understand behavioral based safety a little bit more. And, and yeah, I suppose the rest is history.
0: That's for me, I've always been fascinated about human behavior and, and, and psychology and, you know, how you can get people to, to to try and help them help themselves, you can get that wrong very easily. Sometimes just in choice of words, tonality. I guess then what I'm interested in is at that time when you were realizing that you were starting to get into this and, you know, if we're starting to fast forward a little bit more then, now you get to do it on a much bigger scale.
1: I remember an incident that happened. I must have been on the project. Yeah, I had moved. I, it was just before I took up a role at Jacobs, actually. So I was, with the, I was with a contractor and we were moving um, compounds. We were moving from one, one fab compound set up to another. We had a couple of containers and we had a crane in for the day that was lifting and bringing the, the offices on the back flaphead right, to the other other compound. And I walked around the corner and I saw a guy that I had worked with for maybe two years um, and I saw a guy on the top of an A-frame ladder underneath a container that had been lifted by a crane and as I was coming around the corner and it all happened very very quickly but as I was coming around the corner I was conscious that I could hear an alarm and when I walked around and I saw him on the top of the A-frame ladder I just I roared at him to get down so something in my head went there's an alarm he's under uh, under a cabin uh, I don't know where the alarm is coming from he shouldn't be there in the first place and I, and I let her roar at him and I probably cursed at him and I probably said things that I shouldn't have said to him. but I roared at him to get down off the ladder he jumped down and he came charging towards me I think with something like don't you speak to me like that or something like that and with that the crane the outriggers on the crane started to lift so the crane had actually lifted out of range and had and the, and the outriggers started to lift and the crane driver very quickly had to drop The container had to drop the chains on the container and the container smashed to the ground in front of us. So I stood with my mouth open. He stood with his mouth open. And, you know, a lot of stuff happened in the aftermath of that. But I left that project that day saying I was never returning. Like I I couldn't take the weight of this on my shoulders. That's when I realized that I actually cared and I had a real passion for this because I, I I, honestly felt sick. Didn't sleep that night, just replayed the whole thing in my head over and over again. And I thought, right, this guy could have died. So there was a real conflict there in my mind because I knew, I realised I was passionate about this. I, It frightened the life out of me because of what could have happened. I did never want to be in that situation again. So I was never going back onto the project, but yet... Had I not walked around the corner and had I not called him and had I not been that focused as he wasn't, I don't know what would have happened. And the next day I got a phone call from his now wife and um, we had a conversation about how he felt and she was just thanking me. To, you know, she obviously realised what had happened and and, and said, look, I, I know you said words yesterday or whatever, but, um, you know, you you kind of saved his life there. And I was like yes I did and I now know that I need to I can't not walk back through those gates so walked back through the gates and yeah have have always had and I recount that story you know when when things are kind of um challenging because in this role you know you, you you tend to act as the conscience on the shoulders of your business and it can be really hard because you talk about knockbacks like It can be really hard to influence change and it can take a long time. And perseverance is a skill or or a trait that we need to have in abundance as safety professionals because you're not always going to get a yes. So it's going to be difficult sometimes. But I think back to that story about that guy on the crane or on the the A-frame ladder and think what could have been. And it always spurs me on. In those moments where things can seem like it's just not worth it, I remember that and I go, no, do you know what, it is actually worth it because this is about people and this is about doing what's right for people and you need to just keep on going.
0: I want to talk about perseverance and communication because you've, you've hit on as you come into more of a, you know, strategic roles and then you're looking at influencing change outside of, you know, what you know is the right thing to do, it's not as simple as you just saying to somebody, yeah, we should do this now because it's, you know, because of X, Y and Z. It's how do you go through that that process and how do you do you get to be comfortable with being knocked back when you, you know, don't get what you want first time?
1: I don't think you ever get comfortable with it. I I genuinely don't think you ever get comfortable with it. I think as you mature and you get older, your level of emotional intelligence increases and that's what helps you to deal with the setbacks. I mean, you can still, and I do, still get really pissed off because in my head, I'm like, this is absolutely the right thing to do. Why can they not see that this is absolutely the right thing to do? How I and how we, because I work with an amazing team in Jacobs and our, our global vice president, Paul Hendry is, is, is brilliant at this and brilliant at instilling it in us as a health safety team. How do you demonstrate the return on investment? So it's all about demonstrating that return on investment, knowing your numbers and being able to articulate to the business through, um, through that return on investment, how it's going to benefit the business. And a lot of the times we we know it's the right thing to do because we're a safety team, but we don't always have the the data to, 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 to back it up. And I suppose in Jacob's one example of that is through our through our Mental Health Matters programme that we've been on a journey with, I should say, since kind of 2015, 2016, when I suppose we've been talking about it for a long time, right? 2015, when industry probably was talking about it and it was really important for us to try and get better investment in it Um, and we and we tried doing it the this is the right thing to do way but actually when you're talking to senior business leaders and you're talking to them in an organization the size of ours there's the what's in it for me so what's in it for the business so we've been on that journey with mental health within Jacobs for a long time and you know we can delve into some of the kind of initiatives that we've we've come up with to get that return on investment you know we started off really small with a a small cohort of uh, of of positive mental health champions that we trained within the business and there was kind of a grassroots swell from that and which allowed us then to go to leadership and say look the business actually really wants this and here's the evidence that they really want to get to get more investment in that right through to launching our one million lives platform which is a, a digital platform to allow people to check in on their own mental health that we rolled out in in 2020. What that's given us is that data we spoke about to uh, really demonstrate return on investment and make data-driven decisions. Um, And now we're in a position where when we go to leadership with ideas or with initiatives or with a request for investment, we're able to back it up with the data and that's really important in terms of influencing and, and, and perseverance. Now look, I know there'll be people listening that, that aren't at that stage yet. No, they're still at the we know it's the right thing to do but having some form of, of data uh, to demonstrate how you can get that return on investment is absolutely vital, vital to influence properly.
0: Yeah, and I, and, and like you said, you know, return on investment is, is critically important and, and bridging that gap from people who are a subject matter expert who are then you know having a little bit more responsibility in terms of putting pushing these programs forward and having to you know maybe put together the business case for the for the first time and you know using what's data data available to them to be able to influence that influence that changes you know it, first of all it's it's difficult if you haven't done it for the first time and i think certainly i when, when i had to do it for the first time, i found it quite intimidating because quite frankly i was going outside of my outside of my comfort zone. And, you know, I'd talk to me about mentors that you've had throughout your throughout your career. So when you're coming up with situations like this, when you were experiencing it for the first time, did you have, you know, people around you in your network who were able to support you or to be a sounding board for you?
1: Um, from a leadership perspective, the most important thing, and certainly the most important thing for me, but I, I, you know, I think for for most people is your, the people that you have around you because your network is is absolutely vital. You've got to have people around you that you trust. And I have been so fortunate in my career to have had people around me, to have had mentors around me, to have bosses that I've worked with through the years that have really supported me and supported my, my journey. I mean, you, you look at the life that I have now, I have three small kids, I'm, I'm trying to run a house, I'm trying to build and maintain a career. And I wouldn't be able to do that if it wasn't for the people that I have around me. Right back to like, and I can, I can, I can name them. You know, I've, I've worked with amazing people all throughout my career. There's been loads of people in my life who are still, who I would still be close to, who I would still reach out from time to time, even though we're not working in the same companies or we're not working in the same projects, would still reach out from time to time. Your, your crew is, is everything. You're the people that you have around you are everything and it's 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 vitally important as a young person coming into the career into your career, it's vitally important that you, you surround yourself with people that you trust. Because you'll meet lots of people along the way as well who you won't trust and and who won't have your best interests at heart. And again, that's a I suppose looking a maturity thing in in recognizing who the people are that you can trust and that you and that you don't trust, you know. When you think about safety and you think about the decisions people make and you think about how they are influenced, it's all about relationships. So if we know each other, Adam, I'm much more likely to tip you on the shoulder and go, what are you putting your hand there for? You know, or you're much more likely to say, are you okay today? Because you don't seem yourself. But when we don't have that built up relationship which i think is has been a real victim of of this hybrid work there is going there is not going to be there actually is there's an impact on on safety now and we can see it right across our industries because those relationships are all very contrived now and they're virtual and it's it's much more difficult to build up that trust where you can tip somebody on the shoulder. So it's I'm I'm worried. I'm worried about hybrid working and I'm worried about what this is going to lead to. Not just our industry, like everywhere. We know social isolation is is an issue. We know people get stuck in a rut now. I mean I'm at the moment stuck up here in my in my office, in my in my attic. Do I think I should be going to the office more? Absolutely. But sometimes I just don't have the motivation. So I'm in this kind of hamster wheel of I really want to go to the office. I'm really craving that interaction with people. But yet my backside is stuck to this chair, and I don't actually have the motivation to go and iron clothes and sit in traffic for an hour. You know, but do you know what I mean? The, the effort, the effort that it takes now. But I think as businesses, we have a responsibility to try and find a balance here with this hybrid working, because particularly for younger, um, our own younger age demographic, and I know that definitely something that we, um that we got out of the data one million lives was that we knew that our under 35s were struggling with social isolation because they told us through the data we got on one million lives and we were able to prioritize that that demographic coming back into the offices when when we were we started to open up our offices again after COVID. So uh, I I just think as businesses we have a we have a responsibility to look for a really balanced approach to this hybrid work. And, and sometimes the mandate is what we need. So so Like if my organisation decided to mandate a Tuesday and a Thursday, that would actually force me into having, to. it wouldn't be a decision, like that's just what I would, you'd you'd absolutely make it work. The benefits of that are just, are just, you know, twofold. There's, there's organisational benefits and there's individual benefits. And, and I think... I think we need to get really serious as a business as an industry sorry uh, around this this hybrid working model that we've all kind of fallen into.
0: No, I agree and I and also looking at it from the from a young person's perspective because typically the people who are going to making will be making the decisions on what a hybrid approach looks like they're not going to be the 18 19 early 20s 20 year old and they're also unless they've got kids of a similar age might not appreciate the impact on them so we need to have their you know their perspective into how does that work because you know young like we you mentioned already yeah you know, young people are like sponges they do absorb they absorb things but if they're only absorbing things when they're on a team's call from their bedroom and they're not you know in an environment where they're listening and they're hearing and then and when they've got an issue there's someone there they can just not have to <laughs> go and see if the light's green on teams and um, and ping, ping them a message they can just casually say hey what about what about this
1: and we never, like as an organisation, we would we would never have made that decision about prioritising the under 35s had it not been for OML and the data we were getting back from. it. Like we would have just assumed that the under 35s should look their grants, aren't they grand? Do you know, they, they, they'll they come in when they want to, but but actually as, as a business saying, no, we want our under 35s back in our offices, that kind of caused our staff to, 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 to their ears to prick because they were like, oh, okay. They're listening to us now. You know, they 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 they're doing something for us, and they're they're actually actively listening to us. So that was a really positive thing coming out of all well
0: Let's delve into that a bit a bit further then, because we've talked about you know the, the sacrifice that comes occasionally from you know, the responsibility that you have, but being able to influence change. And you know, one million lives is a great example of a uh, of a project that influences change. So, talk to me from your perspective. How how did that end up from you know? and an idea to being, you know, really, really impactful for the organisation. And, you know, the legacy, well, well, the legacy of it might, might look like.
1: This has been probably one of the most challenging and one of the most, definitely one of the most rewarding projects that I have ever had the, the privilege uh, to work on. Um, we knew we needed to do something very different as an organisation um, in terms of proactive approach. We put in place a positive mental health champion network globally but that was really reactive it was it was reacting to the fact that we knew people were off their work and and anecdotally we we knew that a lot of people were off with stress or perceived stress Uh, but either way they were off they were off their work and we we had somebody on our own team who struggled with their mental health and being really honest it was it was really frustrating because he would be really capable, really competent, able to do his job, able to deliver, and then he just wouldn't, and he'd disappear off radar. And as a team, you're kind of going, "Oh God, he's off again." But actually, we did a choice to make around 2015, 2016, and that was, do we get on the bus here? Or do we get off the bus? Do we do we stay still and? not do anything with this or do we try and deeply understand where he's coming from? And that just opened up a whole new world for us as a team. Though at the time in the business, the well being um piece sat with us. And we were we were trying to understand it a little bit more. We were trying to get data out of HR. We were trying to help the business make better decisions around the well being of our people. But really it was it was dealing with Uh, this particular individual and understanding the frustrations that really caused us to sit up and go okay we need to we need to do something different here so we worked with him uh, we developed the Positive Mental Health Champion training we started rolling it out across the business people loved it Uh, we had like within two months we had a a waiting list of 400 people um, on this waiting list to be trained they wore lanyards in the offices because obviously this was before COVID they wore lanyards in the offices we started to collect anecdotal evidence about some of the some of the issues that our staff were facing through the Positive Mental Health Champion Network but around that time our Global Vice President um, Paul Hendry he started to have this idea about wanting to do something a little bit more proactive and at the time he was having conversations with a psychologist um, called Peter Slocum who works out of Perth, Western Australia and between Paul and between Peter and between both their experiences, they, the, the, the idea of One Million Lives was born. And what we really wanted to do was implement something really proactive that would help our staff primarily and the business. So we launched the platform, obviously working with PETA, um, based on the Kessler K10 model, which is a, a, a model that doctors, some doctors will use. If you go in and say I'm not feeling great today and I don't really know what's wrong, so it's a series of questions. There's a short check in and a longer check in, and um, which gives a full kind of analysis on your on your mental health. And yeah, we launched it in 2020, um, around the time of COVID. We probably would have been ready to launch it a little bit sooner than that, um, but we had to go through rigorous checks and balances with with legal from a GDPR and a data privacy perspective. So this thing has all the belts and braces on from a GDPR perspective. But we launched it and, um, you know, it's been amazing watching this thing grow. We have been able to make some really data-driven decisions as a business based on the data that we're getting back from it. But I suppose we we never launched it formally Um, and we always thought look we need to do a a kind of a big launch of this thing we also initially launched it for our own staff but very quickly we started to have a conversation about well actually if our staff are at home with family members friends that are really struggling with their mental health that's going to impact how they rock up to work and it's going to impact them as an employee to Jacobs so we said well why don't we give it and offer it for free to the family and friends of of the people who work for us. And then that kind of developed into, look, we are a big global corporate machine. We really need to give back to society. So let's look at the cities and communities that we're living in and let's offer this, let's make it open source and let's offer this out to anybody that can that can and wants to use it. So out with the data that we get from it the feedback that we've had from this has been just you know stop you in your tracks type stuff we've had people emailing us telling us that they've had conversations with their partner um for the first time in 25 years about their mental health never had the language to have that conversation before and are now getting the help that they need we have had some of our staff tell us that they are able to have conversations with their teenagers around suicide. Again, a really emotive, really difficult conversation. It takes a lot of bravery. But what this platform has done and some of the other initiatives that we've built around it, uh, what that's done is, is given people the confidence to have discussions. We have a guy in the business who, again, had no language for how he was feeling, took a check in. It showed that his, he was he had poor mental health. He went to the doctor. He was diagnosed with severe depression and he was off his work for two or three months getting the help that he needed. And he's back now and he's really well and he's doing amazing. This is the proactive approach that we were looking for. We really wanted to do something in terms of a big formal launch of this. And we don't think that this is something that we could solve on our own, right? Although we are a massive company and we have loads behind us and we have will behind us and we have resources behind us. We don't think this is something that we could do on our own. So we, last summer, we came up with the concept of the world's biggest mental health check-in. And this was what we really wanted to do was come together on one day as an industry. And even out with our industry, anybody that wanted to get involved in this was more than welcome to and stand down on the 10th of October, which is World Mental Health Day, Um and take part in the world's biggest mental health check-in. And come together, they did. You know, I think we'd more than 40 organisations last year who joined hands with us. Um, we reached out and asked for anybody that had a similar type mental health check-in tool to offer it for free. This is never something that Jacobs will commercialise. So we reached out to our competitors, we, we, you know, and that was met by some of our competitors with kind of raised eyebrows initially, because, you know, why would we work with you? And we're same. This was really about us coming together on the day. So, yeah, it was, a, it was an enormous success last year. And this year we're doing it again, but we want it to be bigger and better. Um, I've spent the last couple of weeks talking to organisations across all different kinds of industries. There's, a, again, a groundswell starting to, starting to bubble away on this thing. Um, and I would urge any of your listeners who who want to get involved to to reach out to me. And we've done all the the heavy lifting on this. So so although we're hosting it, this is this is about us all coming together. We've done the heavy lifting on it. We have produced campaign materials. It's ready just to drop into your organisation or indeed complement what you've already got in play. But yeah, let's let's all just try and get together and do something really special on. The 10th of October because we have an opportunity on that day to kind of take a step back
0: Last question then for me then is um, anybody who is considering getting into engineering construction or, or safety what why would you encourage them to, to, to join what what is it that um, you know as a as a career it can offer them? I
1: think you get to be part of of a lasting legacy. Like you you look at some of the unbelievable projects that Jacob's work on around the world, particularly in our, say, life sciences part of the business, where you can get to be involved in the design, construction, maintenance of some of these unbelievable pharmaceutical projects and plants around the world that, that you know, develop, uh, manufacture drugs that save people's lives, you know or we have a project out in Saudi at the moment, Neon the Line, which is an absolute phenomenal uh, program to be involved with. So, you know, and from a safety perspective, it's that whole, it's going back to that whole, you can change people's lives. Like we say this every day in Jacobs, we save lives. We save lives, whether it's through our, our policies and procedures that we have when people are out working for us, whether it's through our well-being and mental health program but we are actually influencing how people are living and we are influencing how people go home and now we're also starting to influence how they're coming back into work because we we really want to get to is it's not good enough to say we just want people to go home the same way they came in we want them to go home healthier and better mentally physically whatever we need to do we we need that progress now you know, I, I don't. I just don't think we can rest on our laurels anymore. We need, we need people that are mentally and physically fitter and better working for us and contributing to society and trying to save the planet. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure.
0: And and that's it, isn't it? You know, the world is just evolving so fast, so much faster than ever, and it ever has. Um, and keeping on top of that needs people who are have better mental fitness you know i, I really like that that uh, mental fitness because we you know we think about physical fitness you know i can go and go and do reps with some dumbbells and i can build myself up and you can start to see that i'm physically fitter a lot harder to check on your you know your mental uh, fitness, you know and but we need to we still need to do reps we need to build we need to start small and build and build up and you know that's i'm, I'm absolutely with you i think that's it's a great reason to get in and um, and help that movement, help push it forward. Well, look, thank you so much for taking time out of your incredibly busy busy schedule to to talk to me today. You know, I hope the listeners get a lot out of this. Please check out One Million Lives and you know and spread the message. You know, mental health is just so important to to everybody, and it's you know duty G- to G- G- us to um, yeah, get out of there and, and, and do as much as we can to help support everybody because uh, we all have we all have issues and a lot of the issues we share we just need to be better at talking about it with each other
1: yeah thanks thanks Amelia million adam
0: thank you thanks so much for listening to risk sleep repeat if you'd like to appear on the show if there's a topic you'd like to discuss or if you want to let us know your thoughts, please do so using the hashtag RiskSleepRepeat or get in touch via our website at praxis42.com.